Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hey, y'all. This is Farley Schweigert with the HET Podcast. I want to welcome you to another episode. This is actually my first podcast for HET as a co-host, and so I'm super excited to be here. For those of you listening to the podcast and not watching on the YouTube channel, I just want you to know that Resilient may be my middle name. I was having trouble with my internet connection at the house, so I hopped in my car and drove down the street. So that's why I, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, it's why I look like a, a creepy stalker because of bad lighting because I did not get all my cool ring lights and all the things that we do for podcasts, YouTube videos, and social media. I am the, uh, one of my mini hats is director of clinical education. So that may be where my resilience comes from. I'm not real sure, but at any rate, I am excited about our conversation today. I have one of my former students on the podcast with us today, Claire Doss. She graduated from the Arkansas State Doctor of Physical Therapy Program in 2020. She was my GA for a, a, good, a good while, and she agreed to come on the podcast today because what I want to talk about is in physical therapy education is educating students with a physical disability. We are a profession that helps people with physical disabilities. That's what we do. But what about when we have students that come through that have a physical disability? How do we educate them? Where where is that place in our education system for them? The job title we have is physical. So there are physical requirements of a physical therapist that have to be met. There's just really no way around that. But there are still, there's still room within that. We're talking about physical therapy education for students with physical disabilities and what that looks like. So with no further ado, and hopefully not another interruption um, with the podcast, um, I'm going to turn it over to Claire Doss and let her introduce herself and kind of tell her story. So welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation today. So a little bit about me. Like Farley said, I graduated from the Arkansas State University program in 2020, and I now practice in a little bitty outpatient clinic in Berryville, Arkansas, and I've been there since I graduated. Thankfully, they took me on even amidst the pandemic when not many places could take people. So that was that's kind of where I'm at. I do mostly ortho. Periodically, I get a neuro patient that I get to hang out with and spend time with. Um, and then I just started entering into the pelvic health world. So that's kind of where I'm at PT-wise. A little bit about the physical disability part. I was born with something called proximal femoral vocal deficiency, which basically just means 
that I have very unstable hips and my acetabulum is very shallow and my femoral head is not in the correct position on my right side. So leaves for a little bit of an issue there. I also um, was born with, uh, some people call it like lobster claw hand, but I basically only have two fingers on my right hand um, and my elbow is fused on that side. So that was what I walked into PT school with and trying to figure out how I could make it work. Yeah. And so talk a little bit, you know, talk a little bit about the challenges that you were faced with that coming into PT school, especially through lab skills, uh, um, psychomotor skills that you have and uh, how, what worked and what didn't work. So walking in the first semester, um, clinical procedures lab, I mean, simple things that um, most of us, once you're out in the field and you've been working for a while, take for granted, like simple joint mobs, um, proper positioning for yourself was really hard, like trying to figure out how to accommodate having a shorter hand or arm on that side, trying to get a good grip on like a foot to do an ankle mobe was really hard. Um, things like that. I walked into the program and I actually had a conversation with one of the professors the first um, day right before I started and was, you know, I said, look, you know, I filled out that paper and I said I could do everything that was physically required to do this job, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, like, what do I do? And she said, just do, just, just go, just start the classes and we'll figure it out from there. And got through with my first semester and I was like, okay, half of those skills in that lab, I could not figure out how to do and felt like I was effective with them. And that was, that was a game changer in a sense, because I actually considered walking away from PT school because I said, if I can't effectively help my patients, if I can't do these skills, um, I don't want to continue down this. And then a patient that I'm working with not get the same level of care just because I'm their therapist versus someone else. And I had a professor who was very, very close um, to me. I'd known him for a couple of years beforehand. Um, through the hippotherapy program that Arkansas State does. And he actually called me um, and he said, hey, he was like, I know you can do this. I know we can figure out how to make this work. So you're not quitting. I'll see you in the spring. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, showed up in the spring and another professor helped me to organize kind of a think tank group. And those people were people that I could go to for extra practice time in the labs, um, just to try to figure out, you know, how can I, you know, how can I do this myofascial release skill when I don't have two hands that are the same? Um, how can I, how can I do this hip joint mode when I don't have I don't have the grip that I need on that right hand. Um, and 
it just took a lot of extra time um, and thinking outside the box. Thinking outside the box became a whole new way for me. Um, I'd never been challenged like that to think outside the box and look at a situation differently. Um, because I had always been one that I wanted to do it like everybody else because I didn't want people to look at me differently. And this PT school was where I realized you don't have to do that. Like if you need to think differently to get the job done, let's do it. I mean, we ask our patients all the time, you know, like, okay, you can't get this done this way. Let's find a different way for you to do it. Um, and that was kind of my story through most of school. Yeah, you know, by the time I, I think I met you would be the fall of your second year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by the, by the time I, when I was preparing for this conversation earlier today, I was, I was reflecting back to when I met you and the experiences we had when you were my GA and in different parts through your PT school career. And because of what was intriguing for me to have this conversation with you was how you present yourself, how you carry yourself and how you were brought up that I never noticed that there was an issue for you. I remember the first time I noticed it <laughs> and we were at the hippotherapy barn and we were hauling something out of the table or a cooler or something. And, um, and I was in a hurry and you were like, Farley, I you've got to slow down. I've got one arm. I'm fixing to drop this. I don't even know what it was. You know, I was like, oh yeah, don't, don't be, come on, Farles. Don't be so, it's ridiculous. So, I, I mean, that was literally the first time that it ever dawned on me because the think tank that you were able to cultivate and working with those other professors prior to that, you guys have gotten through a lot of that foundational stuff. The, the other things that you and I worked on orthopedically with our manual skills were more just very much nuances of different things. And then really thinking outside the box of, well, if, if I can't do a grade five or a manip or something highly technical, what's going to be my go-to treatment? You know, because like we've had many conversations there, there's multiple ways to get there. And, and to not get caught up in the manual, it has to grow away of it has to be done this way when, when there are multiple ways to get there. So, so that, was, that was a little bit of the background for me coming into your educational career. But I think, you know, maybe speak to a little more of the specific ways you were able to work through some of those things, whether it was prior to our meeting or, or through other experiences so that the listeners out there who may be may have a student with um, a physical disability in their cohort can um, really start to help them and, and hone in on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
we're gonna I'm gonna use the example of um, like a joint mode because that was a lot of the manual skills was what I had issues with trying to figure out how to reorient myself so that I wasn't going to hurt myself doing these things, but also be the most effective that I could be. And what it really came down to was spending time in the lab with a professor, whoever that, you know, whoever was teaching that course or not teaching that course, there were sometimes I would just grab whoever was in the office and say, hey, can you come help me think through this? And there, there was always somebody who would do that. And I would grab a classmate usually, and we would just go down to the lab and I would, feedback was the best thing. Um, I would practice a skill and I would have the professor watching me and could give me external feedback of like, hey, change your position here. Have you considered using a gate belt here? Have you um, looked at changing how the patient is positioned so that you have a more effective pull? And then I would ask my, my peer, you know, hey, does this feel like how, you know, somebody else in the class or how the professor did it? What needs, what could be changed? What do you think I need to work on? And that feedback and that conversation back and forth with those two people became invaluable. Um, that was how I learned. It's just like basically any other student. It's just a difference of looking at the situation and going, okay, she doesn't have that extra hand for the pole. So what can she use instead to get the same effect? Or, you know, this person can't see that, but they have the same, you know, they have the feel. So how can they use their feel to look at that situation, to look at that situation instead? Um, but that was honestly how I worked through almost everything. Um, was just conversation back and forth, picking different people's minds. Different people had different ways to do things. Um, you know, looking at, so like one of our professors, um, Dr. Green, you know, pretty short lady, you know, I could ask her, you know, how do you, how do you change what you do? Because how she approached a manual skill is going to be different than like how Dr. Guffey would, you know, big, tall guy. And so she could sometimes think outside the box in a way that was different just because she had to because of her size. And so I was able to use some things from her um, that was useful. You know, she used a gate belt a lot more than most of the professors did to do joint mobs. Periodically, I have to do that because I just can't get a good enough grip without torquing my back because my arms are not the same length. So if I use a gate belt instead, it eliminates that issue and I get just as good of an effect on the patient. Um, but I think for like you as professors, just being willing to give that maybe little extra time and that little extra feedback, it means so much. Um, because, you know, we're, we're our students, we don't, 
sometimes we don't always know the questions that we have. Um, but you can look at it and go, okay, well, these are the things that probably need to be fixed, even if she doesn't know exactly what kind of questions to ask. Because sometimes the things that people would say, I'm like, oh, I hadn't even, I hadn't even realized that was an issue. But now that you're saying that, yes, I see that. Let me, let me correct. And I can sometimes figure out, okay, this is how I need to self-correct myself. Um, but, but yeah, conversation and feedback. Well, I think it's a very good point. Students don't always know the, the questions that they have. And, and that applies whether we're talking about this situation or just physical therapy education in general. So, you know, slowing down, taking attention to detail and, and understanding that, I, I think that's a great quote from this conversation. Students don't always understand the questions that they have. And, and that can be applied across all of, of physical therapy education. So Claire, what are your thoughts? I know you have networked um, since your time at school through a podcast you started called the Adaptable Podcast and with some other students who have faced similar challenges and their, their physical therapy education. So tell me a little bit of that experience and, and, and some, of, some of those stories. Oh gosh. And I think this was one of those, I didn't even know what I was getting into when I started doing the Adaptable podcast with Morgan and Anna. Um, but I learned a lot from them because they gave a different perspective of like students um, with chronic illnesses. Um, both of them deal with different things, um, but had similar experiences of trying to figure out, you know, for them, it may have been, you know, learning how to pace themselves in the clinic. You know, they deal with chronic fatigue. Um, and so learning how to you know, structure their schedule as a PT. Like, how can I make this work to where I can still give everything that I need to to my patients, but not be putting myself at risk to literally pass out, you know? Um, you know, what do I do when I'm trying to do, you know, I'm working with somebody who I'm having to do a lot of manual tasks on, but I'm hypermobile how do I protect myself? Like, what do I need to change? How do I need to change my approach to therapy to make sure that I can still get the job done, but again, not injure myself. And it just gave me a new appreciation for, you know, not just the people that we treat who deal with those situations, but others, other therapists who are trying to navigate that. I'd never really considered that. You know, we also talked with people who have things like dyslexia. I know there were a couple of people that I knew going through the program, either at A-State or um, at, through other programs that dyslexia made it hard, you know, right and left, come on. Like they couldn't, you know, it made it hard for them like on exams, you know, when they were reading it, they had to be so much more careful. And it made a question that may be fairly easy for the average student so much harder. And then to translate that into lab and make it to where when you're talking with a patient, 
you're not making them feel like, well, she doesn't know what the heck she's doing because she just made me turn left and she wanted me on my right and, you know, different things like that, that I'd never even thought of. So I think what doing that podcast showed me was just, just the diversity of the people who are trying to enter into this field and how hard it is for you as professors to really know exactly how to help each of us because we all have such different needs. And I mean, that's any student, not just somebody who has a form of disability. I mean, we all have different things that we're bringing to the table that you guys are trying to accommodate as best you can. And I think it just goes back to until we get going and we get walking down that path, again, sometimes we don't even realize as students what, we're, what difficulties we're going to encounter, even if we've lived with this our whole lives. And so trying to come to a place where we learn to communicate our needs and recognize that, you know, we're not going to be able to do everything perfectly, but we can find a way to do everything well enough that it's going to get the job done. Doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you were saying you never realized like that I had anything, like it took you a while to figure that out. It just wasn't something that stood out. A lot of people say that. Like I've even had patients who I've been working with for weeks. And then they finally are like, oh my gosh, what happened to your hand? <laughs> and I'm like, that's always been there. I promise. I promise. That has not, that hasn't just randomly appeared. Um, didn't happen over the weekend. And it's just, you know, it's something that you learn how to make everything work. And it takes time. And it's not something like half the stuff that I can do now, I was still trying to figure out in school. I was still trying to figure out in clinical rotations. I was still trying to figure out when I graduated. But two years out, we're good, you know? And every day I learn something, something new, something different that I can, I can change up. Patients teach me things that are new. They're like, you know, just getting feedback from them. And as students being open to the critiques and the criticism, that can sometimes be hard. But knowing that, we're going to be so much better for it. Yeah, I think there's a lot there in that answer to that question. We are a profession that works on being inclusive for all of our patients and we we treat we treat the diverse population that there is, but we're not often very good at doing that to ourselves and being kind to ourselves. And, and it's a, there's a lot of factors there far as through the education system. CAPTI has minimum standards that have to be achieved for physical therapy education, and those have to be met. But outside of those guidelines, being teaching students to take care of themselves as they're entering a very difficult, a very taxing profession mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so even telling those stories about your cohorts and other students that you guys have interacted with, the meeting the standards, educational standards of the curriculum, along with educating the student, or at least helping them to 
self-reflect or interact with themselves in a more positive way to be more inclusive for themselves, whether whether they're dealing with a, a physical disability or a, a another another challenge to to their education. So Claire, I think I think those are some eye-opening points to the conversation today. And I think those are some great points about students don't always know the questions that they have and being able to slow down and take that detail and time. And it's just as simple as that, you know, going into this conversation, I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, this, it was just going to be an eye-opening conversation, hopefully for the listeners out there, not necessarily a mind-blowing one of just keeping at the basics, keeping an open mind and keeping, keeping the basics. I, I say a lot these days that the champions are masters of the basics, whether you're talking about a sport or physical therapy, that they just execute those basics so well. And so for dealing with a, a student with a disability, those basics for them have to be altered and the job can, can, still, can still get done. So I have uh, another one, one final question for you. And we, oh, uh, we ask this a lot. If there was one thing about physical therapy education that you could change, what would it be and why? You warned me about this question at the beginning. <laughs> That's why. It's a very challenging I question. I know. It is, especially when it's, it's, not, it's just not something that I think about every day. This probably isn't at all a super original answer, but I know for me, I think one thing I wish I had had even more time in, and my situation is a little bit different because again, I was, I was finishing school at the beginning of the pandemic. And so my clinical time got cut short, but for me, there's just so much more value in my time in the clinic. And I wish some of that could have been wrapped in when I was in didactics because I needed that hands-on. I needed that interaction more. And while I got lots of time in the clinic, I think I would have loved even more hands-on time, even if it was like an on-site clinic that we did periodically. And I got probably more than a lot of students because we did that with hypotherapy. So I definitely got that, that some of my peers did not. And, you know, just as somebody who was trying to figure out how to navigate the clinical world with a disability, you know, that just took on so much more value to me because I also got, I also got perspectives from a lot of different people. You know, sometimes there were things that could be addressed in clinic that just weren't as addressed when I was in classes. Uh, I had one clinical instructor specifically who, I mean, that was part of our day was literally thinking through different things. Transfers were hard, especially when I was working with patients who were like dependent transfers or max assist transfers. It's a little hard when you only have one good hand to grip with. And so she was able to look at that because she was a more neuro-based PT and she was like, oh, well, let's see how we can adapt this. And that was where I learned that. So for me, that was really invaluable, but I also recognize that you got to get the didactic work in there too. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a great answer. You, you were ending your PT school career as the pandemic started. 
because you were you were in your final clinicals the spring of 2020 when the world shut down and as of recording this podcast we'll be graduating the the class that started in PT school the first year of the pandemic and a few the few things in feedback and clinical education have been some on the whole very positive because education along with healthcare has been resilient through the pandemic but there have been there has been some feedback of some things missed manually and and that's literally because that class was doing joint mobs on teddy bears over zoom that spring you know right and so so on top of we often have a challenge of getting enough clinical time in a curriculum then we threw a pandemic on top of it and so you know i think that's going to take a few years to regulate through the educational system and the clinical education on on top of you know you did have more exposure to uh, in arkansas state we have a hippotherapy program that is essentially an ipe and a uh, ICE, um, an intraclinical experience because it happens in the middle of their didactic where they do patients, uh, PT students along with OT students manage their own patients together in a team environment. But bringing more, bringing more patients even into lab, you know, is something educators mm-hmm. can do and changing that lab time around that it it is often more valuable to do that than to spend more time either lecturing or practicing on standardized patients. So, you know, I I think that's a great takeaway that has a lot of layers to it, right? Because if if we talk about in this silo of PT education, that's one aspect of it. And then if we throw a pandemic, (laughs) <laughs> on the same subject it's tough and that. it's real tough <laughs> right right well and then you put in there I mean we spend so much time in the classroom but most people who go into physical therapy are such kinesthetic learners that you can you can preach at us all day long but we're really not going to intake it into here until we do it or we see it in real life and we're working with somebody. I'll be honest, most of what I took away, I took away from when I wrapped it into labs. Um, And I was actually working with somebody who had an issue going on. That was when it really clicked. Otherwise it was just rote memorized facts. Um, But it really clicked when I actually got to see it in action. Um, Feel it with my own hands, do it with my own hands. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I think the, the big takeaway today from this conversation is, um, it's just simple. It's slowing down attention to detail back to the basics mm-hmm. and, and you'll, you'll get, you'll get where you need to go. Yeah. Well, Claire, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat on HET podcast today. I think, um, bringing a, um, a new grad perspective 
um, two years out, we can still call you a new grad. Um, still a new grad. <laughs> <laughs> Learning curves every day. <laughs> perspective to the table is is a, a, a unique perspective and uh, I appreciate your time today. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the HET podcast.